As we talked about MLK for just a minute, I wanted to um, just share, there was a, a snippet of a video that I saw where he was speaking about the relationship of black people in America in the 60s and immigrants who had come to the United States from Western Europe. And he was making a, 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 a comparison about how they were being treated and that uh, those who were coming over in the previous 80 years uh, up until that point, that they were offered land, that they were offered financial assistance, that they were offered housing assistance, they were offered educational assistance. But during that same period of time, while all those things were being offered to them, it was not being offered to those who were African-Americans, those who were here within this country, those who had labored to help build this country. It wasn't there for them. And he was bringing up this thought of inequity within the system. And he's talking about it not in the sense of I'm trying to break apart the system, but I'm trying to highlight that there are some issues and we just want equity. I'm not saying stop giving it to them because I think it's a blessing. I'm just saying, could you give it to us too? Could you make the system work for us as well? And there are times that we find ourselves inside of a system, whether that's the corporation that you work for, whether that's even governmental systems, all of these things where it feels like the system is not necessarily working for you. Oftentimes, it could even be working against you. And as you feel it working against you, and you know that you are a believer, you know that you have made a profession of faith, the question then becomes, God, what are you doing? How am I supposed to thrive in this? How am I supposed to survive? If I'm a believer and everything just keeps cramping down on me, how will I live? How can I continue on in this? And I think it's a blessing that we can consistently look into Scripture to find ways to live in this world. God did not leave us without hope. He didn't leave us without uh, a, a way of moving forward. And one of the ways that he gives us um, a way of moving forward in what would seem to be an unjust and a corrupt system is he gives us this book of Daniel. And this book of Daniel is what happens inside of exile. So we hear about this soon coming exile in the book of Jeremiah, and then we hear about the exile in Daniel, and then we hear about what happens after the exile in Ezra and Nehemiah. God gives us this full picture. And I encourage you to read through that whole lineage uh, of information. But as we look through Daniel, what we see is young men who were taken away, and there were young women as well, but there were young people taken away from their culture, their heritage, their history, and they were stripped of these things. And they were put into a system that was oppressive to who they were, and it was trying to make them into something else. And in the process of that, we see this young man, Daniel, being highlighted for the sake of the glory of God. And so I want us to look into Daniel chapter 2 on today. Last week, we looked into Daniel chapter 1, but today we're going to look into to, to 2, and there is a severe uh, situation that occurs with the king. The king makes a decree that is threatening to the life of these young men, and as he makes this decree, Daniel has to make a decision who is greater in his life? I want to give you the answer. Well, God is greater. It doesn't matter where you find yourself. It doesn't matter what situation you find yourself in. God is greater. And so I pray that you would trust him. So let's look at Daniel chapter 2, verses, verse 1. It says, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. 
And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your horses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. And I want to stop there for a second, but we're going to continue on through this whole story. And I want to stop there because this is not something that was uncommon. Kings during this time would consistently rely upon the interpretation of soothsayers and magicians about their dreams because they believed that as the king, when I'm given a dream in regards to my kingdom, it's, from, it's divine, it's from the gods, and I need to make sure that I follow it properly. So one of the issues is Nebuchadnezzar at this point is the only one who knows the gravity of this dream. We'll find that out in just a few minutes, but he's the one who is feeling a, a lot of trepidation about what this dream could potentially mean. And so as he is, is asking his soothsayers and magicians to tell me what this dream is, he gives them a, a, a little bit of a, a twist. I'm not going to tell you the dream. I need you to prove to me that you have a connection to the gods. I need you to prove to me that you actually know how to do these things. And they have to risk their life to move forward in that. He's saying it's so grave, it's so uh, over the top, that if you are not actually hearing from God, I'm going to kill all of you. That's just, just the way it is. And sometimes, let me just say this too, sometimes when we deal with things that are divine, when we hear about people who are prophets of the Lord, when we hear about people who speak on behalf of God, there is a gravity that comes with those things. I should not be mixing the sacred and the secular because that's not what God calls us to do. He calls us to be holy and separate in those things. And so what we see in verse number six, or verse number seven, it says, and they answered the second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time. Because you see that the word from me is firm. And if you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. And therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is, no, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. God is greater, and what these men, maybe unknowingly, maybe knowingly, are admitting to is God's wisdom is greater than anything that we could have. And so we don't have an answer for you. The only one who can answer you is God. The only one who can respond to your dream and give you what you're looking forward to is God. And so you have to trust in him. And so you have to, there's, there's nothing that we can do. We are at our wit's end. But when he gets to that place where he, they're at their wit's end, he becomes furious. 
Nebuchadnezzar becomes furious, and in his rage and anger, not only does he pronounce death upon these men who are right before him, but he pronounces death upon all wise men. Because he says, if you are the best of the best and you found yourself here, then none of them can answer me either. And so kill them all because they have nothing to offer me. See, there's a fickleness to this world system where it will elevate you to where it needs you to be because you get a chance to do the things that benefit it. Now, I don't know if that means that, you know, as you strive to rise among your corporate job, as you strive to build the kingdom that you have, as you strive to do these things, that you may rise. You may get to the top, but the question is, well, how are you getting to the top? And why are you getting to the top? Why are you aspiring those things? And in just a few minutes, we'll figure out to what level of humility we need to have as we find ourselves before kings and in high places. So Nebuchadnezzar, he issues out this decree to kill all of those who are wise men. Now, here's the thing is last week, we learned that he brought a couple of Hebrew boys, probably even more than just the four that we know of, into his training program to become wise men. And we found that as they sought the Lord and as they put their faith in the Lord, they rose in the ranks because they showed themselves to be wise and skillful and had understanding. And so here, though they're not in the room, and though they didn't ask to be in Nebuchadnezzar's court, these young men's lives are at stake because of the fickleness of Nebuchadnezzar's uh, uh, decree and, and, and desires. But so what we see in verse number 16, or verse number 15, says, he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is this decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Daniel says, basically, there's no losing here. If I say nothing, I'm going to die. But if I say something, and more in particular, if I say something in offering my trust to the Lord, the Lord might be able to do something and change the situation. So I might as well trust in God, trusting in the God, the same one who gave me the desire to push back and say, why don't I eat only what the Lord uh, asked me to eat? And he'll show that I'll, I'm much better. God showed up then. He'll probably show up now. I trust in the Lord. And so he pushes back and he says, make an appointment with the king and I want to give an interpretation to the king. But then he does something very special. He goes to his community. He goes back to uh, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah, says his companions in verse number 17. He says, and told them to seek mercy from God of heaven, from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, the king's mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision that night. Oftentimes when we are posed with some very tough situations, we go to our regular books. We go to our, uh, our regular sources of wisdom. When we feel like the Lord is calling us into a new portion of life, we start going to, oh, I need to go back to school, or I need to go to talk to this person or that person. I love what Daniel does here. He recognizes that the greatest source of wisdom is going to come from God. And so he goes to his brothers who he knows are, are uh, adhering to the covenants that God had uh, asked him to adhere to. And he says to them, 
I want you to pray, beseech the Lord, find mercy that the Lord would give wisdom so that I can go and stand before the king and, be, and give the king an interpretation and it might spare our lives. I mean, there's a boldness here that Daniel has, not too many 20-somethings have. That I'm willing not just to, to, to risk, the, risk my life to save my life, but I'm willing to risk my life to save the life of others. There's a boldness that Daniel walks in, and I think that it teaches us that in the situations that we find ourselves in, sometimes we will need to push back against the system. And if we push back against the system, no matter what the system's beliefs are, no matter what the system's processes are, it may cost us something, but it may provide freedom for somebody else. And it's worth the fight every time. So they go, and God answers this prayer, and it says, at night, it says, then Daniel, uh, it says, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision at night, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, and whom, to whom belongs wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God, of my fathers, I give you thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and, now, and have now made known to me what we have asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. There is a humility here because once Daniel has this revelation, it would take many of us two seconds for us to jump up and say, go tell the king I have an answer. But Daniel stops in this moment, and he begins to give praise to God because the wisdom came from God. And in the process of him worshiping the Lord, he's saying, thank you for this. This wisdom comes from you. But not only does this wisdom come from you, but Daniel leaks here just a little bit about what the prophecy was. He starts talking about the transition of kings. He starts talking about the changes in the lands and in the people. And this is the struggle that we often have is we don't like change. We don't like when corporations change. We don't like when communities change. We don't like when churches change. We don't like those things because they put us in very uncomfortable positions. They mainly put us in a position to where we have to trust that God is moving, that God is, 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 is orchestrating these things, and we'll talk about that in just a second, but we have to trust the Lord. We want things to remain the same. Oh, you know, I love this city. Born and raised and it's part of who I am. But the reality of it is Detroit changed. It changed over years. The Detroit that I'm raising my kids in is not the Detroit that I was raised in. And I have to be able to appreciate the fact that my city has changed and my city will continue to change and it will be different. And there is a possibility that my city will have an end. There is a possibility that this church will have an end. There is a possibility that my line within my family will have an end. See, this is something that Daniel is just now understanding. He's seeing the vision that he's about to go talk to Nebuchadnezzar about and what it has to do with all things come to an end, except one. Kingdoms come to an end. Systems have an end. And there was a hope and there was a joy that comes in that because I'm sure just like you, you want poverty to end, right? You want struggle to end, right? You want marginalization and oppression to end, right? And those things come with systems. Those things come uh, with man-made products that come into the market, that come into our lives. But what never ends is God's kingdom. What never ends is the promise of Christ. 
So he goes before the king. In verse number 25, it says, Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name, whose Babylonian name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? He's saying, don't come to me with just talking to me, but let me know that you actually have a connection with the divine. In verse 27, he says, Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what will be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation might be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. King Nebuchadnezzar, understand that though I stand in front of you and though you see a man standing in front of you, what I'm about to say to you does not come from me. And so when you hear it, whether you love it or whether you despise it, understand that it comes from him. And so whether you choose to celebrate it or whether you choose to kill me, it's not in my hands. It's up to him. Have we grown to a way that we're able to understand and speak like that? Sir, my boss, sir, my parent, my, or ma'am, my parent, have we grown in a way that we would recognize that God will give wisdom on how we speak and what we speak about to those who are in superior positions above us? When you open up your mouth, as Psalm 81 and 10 says, when you open up your mouth, does the Lord fill it? Or is it filled with other thoughts and, and, and other wisdom? So Daniel makes this proclamation. He says, make sure that you credit all this to the Lord. Verse number 31, like I said, it's, it's, it's a lot of scripture that we got to go through today, but it's, it's well worth it. And you saw, O king, a, a behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest uh, arms of arms and silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now this is the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over all of them, you are the head of gold. He gives him this interpretation about what he's seen, and he describes it in very vivid ways. Uh, if you ever decide to go check online, there are a lot of artists' renditions about what this thing could possibly look like. And he gives him this image of a statue 
And that statue has multiple types of alloys, of metals, and then the feet of clay. And he talks about it as, and he ends it here, he says, you have been positioned where you've been positioned by God. Now, this, again, is a very interesting statement because Nebuchadnezzar believes that he ascended to this place out of his own strength, out of his own wisdom, out of his own power. But Daniel is offering him another narrative. He's saying, you're here because God wants you to be here. Now, this is, goes hand in hand with how Daniel opens up this first book, opens up his first chapter. When he opens his first chapter, he says that the children of Judah have been captured. The king, of Jeho- uh, the king Jehoiakim has been given into Nebuchadnezzar's hand by God. See, Daniel understands that though he's in the midst of oppression, though he's in the midst of a struggle, that this is still God's doing. God has not left us. God is not, is not leaving us alone. We are still, even though we're in the midst of this worldly system, we can still operate because God is here. God gave us into this place because we rebelled against him. And so it's okay, even though I recognize that I'm not in a great place, I can still recognize that God is here. And even though you, Nebuchadnezzar, are king over all of us, have all power and authority in your hands, even though I recognize that you have that, what I also recognize is God put you there. He has more power than you because he ascended you to the power that you have. And he says that, he says that you are the head of gold. In verse 39, it says, another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. And yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay." And the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. So Daniel gives this this decree or this, this interpretation, and he says, not only are they just segments, but those are kingdoms. First at the top is your kingdom where you are right now, and after you will come another kingdom, and then there will be another kingdom And then there will be another kingdom. Then he says, and then there will be a stone that's not made by human hands. And it will fall at the feet and it will strike it and it will break everything apart. Now, the way that it describes it as far as the chaff that is in the summer threshing floors, it's almost to the sense of as many of you who are Marvel fans would remember when the snap happened and everybody just kind of fluttered away. That's what he's saying will be the history That's what he's saying will be of these kingdoms. They will fall and they will just flutter away. There will be nothing that remains. There will barely even be a a remembrance of them. And all of this happens because this natural rock, this small rock that falls, when it falls, it will break everything apart. But not only will that rock fall, but it will grow into a large mountain so large that it takes up the whole view of the king that you can't see anything else. And and what we know is that this is a messianic prophecy that there will be a Messiah to come in that fourth kingdom. And in that fourth kingdom, that Messiah will come and it will seem to be some small thing, but it will grow into something that is immeasurable. 
these kingdoms fall. These systems fall. I want to encourage you to, to recognize this, that just because we're in a system now and just because you work for a place now or just because you lead an organization now does not mean that it will always be there. And so as you work for the system, as you work within your corporation, as you work within the church, whatever else it is, we work unto him, to the glory of God, not to the glory of ourselves. Why? Because these buildings will crumble. These buildings will be renamed. These places, these cities will be changed. Where can you travel to Ephesus? Can you go to Philippi? Can you go to Corinth? Yet we knew that these were great cities. But these places are no more. These places that somebody fought hard to build up and to make significant, they have fallen into ruin. And what comes of those things that we put our hands to that end up falling into ruin? We are broken within ourselves. Only what you do for Christ will last. So what happens when all of these things happened, what happens when Daniel stands firm? What happens when he is, is issuing this uh, interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar? He's saying, King, though those soothsayers said, O King, live forever, you're not going to live forever. Your kingdom will not stand forever. And so be prepared. If you want an interpretation, be prepared that your kingdom will fall. So I'm asking you, what, what are you building? What am I building? What am I building and do I know that it'll fall? It'll be handed over to another generation. It'll be handed to, over to another kingdom. But what about the one? What about the rock? Verse number 44 says, and in those days, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces uh, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Daniel concludes his interpretation with a statement that really was his death sentence. It's going to happen. It doesn't matter what you do. Everything you do from this point forward is moving you towards the end of your kingdom. It doesn't matter what you do because this is the interpretation of the Lord. That's a struggle for us. What are we moving towards? Many of us feel like, okay, when I leave here, I can shape things. I can move things in a different way. God is orchestrating a lot of things in your life so that you would bow the knee, so that you would find yourself in complete submission to him. It doesn't matter where you work and how much you work. It doesn't matter what innovativeness you have. God is moving. And when God is moving, the question is, are you aligning yourself with him? Are you listening to him? Are you trying to glorify him? One of my, uh, my mentors who has since passed on, he has a church in Detroit and was a large and thriving church. And in the process of him having this large and thriving church, he started planting a church in Atlanta. 
because he felt like the Lord was leading him to plant this church in Atlanta. So he was driving right after Sunday service down to Atlanta to preach at that church and then driving back on Monday so that he could be here for particular things and then driving back on Thursday so that he could be there and then driving back. And it was a tough slog, but he really felt like the Lord had called him to do it. And that church in Atlanta began to grow. The church in Detroit was continuing to thrive. And one day he said, I'm passing this church in Atlanta on to my associate. And everybody was looking at it and was like, hey, Atlanta is growing. Detroit is not growing. Your church in both places is growing. You really should keep the one in Detroit. I mean, you keep the one in Atlanta. He said, that's not what the Lord called me to do. The Lord called me to go back to Detroit. And so he stayed at the church in Detroit, and the church in Atlanta continued to thrive. And again, he was with me and my brother, and we were talking to him, and, and he says, I'm married more to my master than I am to my ministry. That's a tough thing to say for a pastor. There are many pastors who have laid down their lives for their ministry and walked away from their master. And again, that goes the same for anyone, no matter where you find yourself. Who are you more committed to? Are you more committed to Christ and are you more committed to Scripture than you are to culture? Are you more committed to Christ and are you more committed to Scripture than you are to thriving in your own positions? Because he will ask you to walk away from some things. He will ask you to be holy because he is holy. And that means that we might find ourselves at odds against culture, against Nebuchadnezzar. But when Daniel finds himself at odds, he pushes in and says, I trust the Lord. And as he trusts the Lord, what happens? Verse 46. Then Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel. And commanded that an offering and incense be offered to him. And the king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king. And he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. And I need to say this, because even after Nebuchadnezzar bowed the knee, he bowed the knee to the wrong person. He bowed the knee to Daniel because even though Daniel told him, this is not my wisdom, this is not my doing, it is Yahweh. Instead, Nebuchadnezzar looked at it and was like, I see the man in front of me, and so I'm going to bow before this man. I'm going to give honor to this man, and I'm going to say to his God as well. But this is not the moment where Nebuchadnezzar bows the knee. But what's also interesting here is that Daniel remained in the king's court. A lot of us, after we experience the power of God, feel like, well, that's the moment where God is going to take us out of here. God is going to liberate us. God is going to move us to this other place. Well, sometimes God leaves you right where you are. Just with the knowledge of knowing that he will provide, just knowing that, he will, knowing that he will give you wisdom, that he will be able to move you where he needs you to be. But sometimes you have to stay working for that job. Sometimes you have to stay in that household. Sometimes you have to stay in those tough situations, and God will be glorified in it. Nebuchadnezzar heard this interpretation, saw the faithfulness of Daniel, and recognize that there is a wisdom above his own and above his own soothsayers. There is a wisdom of God. There is also a power that is greater than his. He had to recognize that there is a kingdom that will come, 
a kingdom that will come and it will be greater than mine. And so I need to change even my thinking. So he acknowledges the God of gods, the Lord of gods. He, he recognized that there is an authority greater than his. What are you working for? What am I working for? Every day, every moment, everything that we sacrifice, everything that we love, everything that we labor for, what are we working for? Second Corinthians says it like this in chapter four. Chapter four, verse number seven. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in this body of death, of the, Beth, the body of the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have, we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I, believe, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What are you working for? Work for the kingdom. Work for the betterment of God's people. Work for the glory of God in all things, that though you may face affliction, though you may be discounted, though you may be marginalized, do so to the glory of God. Don't do so. You're not going to get out of the system. You're not going to change things. You may still be marginalized and be marginalized to the glory of God. Be broken for the glory of God. And in the process, you will see his glory. And in the process, you will see his goodness. And the prayer is that one day someone might bow the knee. They would bow the knee to know him. Be strong as Daniel. Be wise as Daniel. To trust the Lord, amen?